While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Just moved. That is so correct. I just moved. Are at the point in your move where all the stuff is in the new place, and you're just slowly unpacking it and putting it where it's gonna go. Yeah, man. Hey, you know what is not a fun thing to move? What's that? Books. I know that yeah, we do this no. podcast about <laughs> books, and we love books, but holy words. Crap. Yeah, because when you have to put two people's books on one bookshelf in the living room. And this is the like the books that people see shelf, you know. Yeah, make some right. Cuts. Not not like the embarrassing college books. Yeah, you have to make some real shelf. cuts, and then it's eleven o'clock at night, and you end up with a pile of books on your living room floor, <laughs> and you don't know how you're going to organize the office yet. Uh, it was, well, it was the, a hard day. Yeah, like if you're cohabitating with somebody for the first time, which you are. Yeah. Um. And you want to get, like, a second bookshelf to put all your books on? Like, you'll never find one that matches. No, that's Your correct. existing bookshelf, it'll always look like crap. And you don't want to be on the hook for buying, like, two bookshelves. No, you don't want two bookshelves. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of books. <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were going to talk about how heavy they are to move. And like oh, how... well, there's that. I mean, they are the heaviest thing. Because <laughs> you can't. Like once, I, once or twice, I've made the mistake of putting books in a box that was too big for them because mm. they they're like pretty compact, and it seems like you should be able to put a lot in one box. But wait, do you, you know, mean that the box that they rattled around, or that the box could not the box handle became, the load of books? It became as though it was filled with cinder blocks. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like it was, it was. You found a big box, and you were like, hey, this is a big box for all my I books. I should fill it with books, and no, I, that was the wrong No, was books the wrong should move. be moved in about ten different tiny boxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, like, in a box with, like, a bunch of blankets or something. So it's, like, half books, half blankets. It depends on how heavy your blankets are. What what heavy blankets? Is hey, I like <laughs> a nice heavy blanket. It makes me feel secure. But yeah, so like we're at the opposite point in our move. Like none of our stuff is in the new place. It's all still in the old place. And we're in the process of deciding what we can live without for like the next three weeks as we start to like throw stuff out. And Oh, it's like you're shipping things into your future life. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't. But that means that you have to part with it for a little bit of time. What mm-hmm. has made that cut so far? What has made the cut or what has gotten thrown out so far? I'll, because I either. talk about what's gotten thrown out. Let's so talk about what's far. gotten thrown out. Um, Seinfeld seen it oh. was the first was the first casualty of the move. The, the, like, did you? <laughs> were, what was that conversation where you're like, all right, what are we going to throw out that we don't have to move? And did you just raise your hand and yell, Seinfeld? Seinfeld seen it. <laughs> It's one of those things that I did not understand why I hadn't thrown it out in the first place. <laughs> yeah, we kept most of our board games, but I think, yeah, we got rid of Seinfeld Seen It. We got rid of the movie trivia version of uh, the Lord of the Rings movie trivia version of Trivial Pursuit. That's very so that, specific. Yeah, that pursuit is pretty trivial. Like on the <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> And a couple, a uh, couple Monopoly editions. I think like Simpsons Monopoly got the. Axe. There is not room in anyone's life for more than one Monopoly. I know. Yeah. And if you well, own a specialty Monopoly, that's cool. That's your bag. But you don't get to have multiple Monopolies. I think you can have one regular Monopoly and one special Monopoly. One Monopoly that says this is who I am, and it's yeah. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, like one that you could play with, like. The president, if he came over and not be embarrassed, and then one look, you could play with your nerdy friends. Look, I want to play <laughs> Simpsons Monopoly, and I'm gonna be he, the skateboard. I bet he, <laughs> that's his preferred Monopoly, is Simpsons Monopoly. 
Uh, should we talk about books? Yeah, let's talk All about right. let's, reading let's books, not Give about the people what books. they want. We are Overdue. It is a podcast about the books that you've been meaning to read. And my name is Craig. And my name is Andrew. And each week we talk about books, not moving books, but reading books. Uh, specifically books that one of us has yet to read. And maybe you haven't read The Listener. And we share them with each other, and we share them with you, and apparently have five-minute conversations about moving. So, there you go. Anything goes. This is a wild and crazy podcast. It's This podcast was written by Cole Porter. Um, <laughs> anyway, Andrew, you read the book for this week. What did you read? I did indeed. I read Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes. And um, the pronunciation of Algernon, I'm just going to go with Algernon, but if that's wrong, I'm That's sorry. the one that I remember from... Anytime I've seen the importance of being earnest. Yeah, and I think this is this has been like a movie too. I think the movie was called Charlie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, this is one of those books where the plot synopsis, like at a very high level, is really simple, which is not always the case with the with the books that we yes, that's read. True. So, um, like the high level plot synopsis is a um, mentally challenged man he's in his early 30s his name is charlie gordon um undergoes an operation that is supposed to increase his intelligence and it does and he gets really super smart and he gets so smart that he figures out that you know it's only like something about the procedure is flawed and he's going to inevitably lose that intelligence that he's he's gained and then he does. And then that's it. Yeah. Like, that's that's the arc at okay. a really high level. Which is, I feel like Breakfast of Champions, I think, was the last one that I read for the show. Yes. And um, that book so defied, like, a plot synopsis <laughs> <laughs> that it feels kind of weird to to give one that you can do in a couple sentences. But, yeah, that's the that's the basic arc of it. Now, I think that's... Because it was written as a short story first. Um, yeah, right. It was written as a short story and then later expanded to um, novel length. And it's not like it's, it's a super long novel anyway. But yeah, the nugget of the story was was packed into a smaller frame before it was expanded into a book, I think. Now, are there other characters or you know anybody else that factors into this story in, in an important way? Or is it mostly just Charlie doing his thing? Yeah, there are a lot of like secondary and tertiary characters of some importance. Probably the biggest one is um her name is Alice Kinian. Okay. And um she is Charlie's instructor at the um at the school for, you know, mentally retarded adults. Like every everything in this book is all like retarded is still a word that is as that is used. I'm not a hundred percent sure which one we're using now, Craig, do you... Okay. Do you know the politically... I don't know uh, if it's handicapped or like, challenged. Yeah. All right. But um, the look, other... I'll look that up. Yeah. let's. I'll, I'll go with handicapped for now. And if I'm being insensitive, you can let me know. Um, for mentally handicapped adults, um, she is his teacher, and she kind of encourages him to get the operation and, like, um, pitches that... You know, pitches that he be the one who gets it, even though he's not he's not the smartest, but he like wants it the most. Like he the story is told through a series of like journal entries that Charlie is is writing. And Wait, it never... is it an epistolary novel, Andrew? <laughs> it is a, an epistolary novel. I feel like novel. I've only learned one thing from this. Sometimes I worry if I've only learned like two things from this podcast. And one of them is what an epistolary novel is. And the other is that sometimes being smart ain't all that, which I think we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I swear, what, where was I? Oh, was sorry. About... He has journal entries that are tracking how this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he, you know, it's always written from his perspective. And, you know, in the early entries, you can see, you know, he he uses no punctuation. That's not a period. He like everything is misspelled. You know, the grammar is... Oh, interesting. He's bad, and he, like, doesn't always understand, like, like he's given Rorschach tests early on, like, when they're trying to determine his fitness for this operation, and he does not, like, know how to spell that. Interesting. Um, yeah, so for the first, like, 20 Is that hard to read? Pages, 
Not really. Um, like it does, it does take a little bit of time to get into, but um, Keys kind of writes himself a way out of that pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. So um, yeah, Alice Kinian is probably the biggest biggest character because she begins as a teacher to Charlie, and then as he gets smarter, she becomes like a love interest for him. Okay. And then there are a few. Um, there are a few like of, of the researchers at the um, at the like institute, the research institute that is doing this operation. Um, Professor Niemer is one. Um, there's a Doctor Strauss who I believe is a psychiatrist or psycho yeah psychiatrist. Um, and then there's like a grad student named Bert. Um, so what is what then, does the yeah. surgery allow him to do other than just be smart? Like what is the functional? Or the practical benefits of this as the book depicts it. It's supposed to increase IQ. So Charlie's IQ like hangs out around 70. Like, you know, right at that. I think that's right at the level where. um, Yeah, that's the line. Where you're just able to take care of yourself. And he has a job at a bakery. Like he makes deliveries and he cleans stuff up. And um, and I guess, yeah, like, I guess that's where we can start because the, you know, the intelligence is just one aspect of Charlie's growth after the operation. But there's also a lot of time spent on like his emotional growth because he's, you know, he's not had the capacity to develop very far. And so he works at this bakery with these with these guys and he, you know, he writes in early entries that they laugh all the time and they have a lot of fun and they're his friends and as he gets smarter, like, like he goes out, they invite him out to a bar and he gets drunk and they tell him to, they, I think they tell him that it's raining around the corner and that he should go look. And then when he comes back, they're not there. Like they ditched him. Oh, really? And so like he really, one of his early realizations is that people are not laughing with him. They're laughing at him. When he's really, when he's before the drug. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, okay. Before the, before the operation. It's one of those things where, like, the exact procedure is not really elaborated on very far. As of course is pretty, not. No, no, no. As is pretty common, I think, in these science fiction stories. But yeah, it is an operation, like a brain operation, and not a not, not like a drug. A drug. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I guess the last character to talk about is probably Algernon himself. Who yeah, we haven't a, talked about Algernon at all. Yeah, he's just a he's just a mouse. Okay. He's, um, he gets the operation first, and. Um, a lot of Charlie's early intelligence tests involves like racing Algernon to the end of a maze. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Yeah. And when the, um, well, I mean, not like the mouse is in a mouse sized maze. Oh, it's scaled Charlie, up. It's not like yeah. Algernon well, is in a no, giant not, human maze. No. <laughs> Race this mouse, man. And then Charlie has like a, has like a pen thing that he traces through the. Through oh. The maze. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so no, there's... he's not running through like a hedge maze. <laughs> <laughs> How much money do you think this research institution we, has? We've constructed two identical hedge mazes. <laughs> one on a mouse scale and one on a man scale. Go. <laughs> find the cheese, Charlie. What is this Harry Potter maze that you've constructed? <laughs> um, so, here's a question. Yeah, hit me with some questions. Where, just a functional, this is like a plot way. Does it talk about, is it an instant iq switch or does the operation allow for a growth of iq that is uh gradual it allows for a gradual growth of iq okay so, so it like, happens and then kind of it's like a waxing and waning of the moon situation yeah so um he has the operation and the increase in intelligence is not instant like for okay. a, for quite a few entries after that like he's still writing poorly but um Keys kind of, and I, you know, as I was reading it, I was like, oh yeah, that's a clever way to just start being able to write like, like you normally would. Is that he says that um, uh, Miss Kinian, who is you know, that's what Charlie calls Alice before he starts before they involved. become romantically entangled. Um, she teaches him about punctuation, and so there's like one. There's one entry where he's got like a comma in between every word because he he's just having so much fun using this <laughs> punctuation he didn't know about before. And then um, a couple of entries after that one, he says that 
you know, the researchers in Miss Kinney and told him to look up every single word in a dictionary to make sure he's spelling it correctly before he writes it down. So that's his that's his like out from having to write these like truncated, misspelled, you know, early Charlie entries. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing to explore is the notion of intelligence while you have some sort of intelligence to describe it, you know, Mm because I think like the normal chart of someone learning and becoming, you know, more intelligent or as intelligent as they're ever going to be, they are simultaneously developing all sorts of other language and emotional skills. And this is kind of, you know, you isolate intelligence growth in this story and then you're able to describe it as it goes. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, and the emotional growth thing is still a big a big um, aspect of the story. Like there's a lot of his family life that he had just blocked out for a long time that starts coming to him in like, because in, he didn't understand it. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's part of the drive of it at least is that he did. He just didn't understand it. He didn't even know that he had remembered it. And then he'll have like a dream or, um, or it'll just like something will remind him suddenly of something that, happened as a child and it turns out you know unsurprisingly he did not have an amazing home life his his mom was like was very big on you know trying to force him to become you know quote-unquote normal Mm. Um, i don't like to use that word on this on this show but like typical i guess is the word well she would have said normal right yeah right i mean yeah yeah, and and this book is 1970s i think so like a lot of the a lot of that's, you know, the terminology, correct terminology had not been kind of hashed out yet. But yeah, I find yeah, myself wants... also trying to phase out the word normal. Are you doing that too a lot lately? Yeah, like it's it's it doesn't quite come 100 percent naturally yet, but it's, you know, I can definitely see why it's not the most. It's, I don't it's know. not correct. Like it does. It's not helpful. And I mean, this is relevant in as much as anything is relevant to this book. So I kind of want to talk about it. Like <laughs> sure. as I'm talking, I tried. I'm very aware of it when I'm talking with kids because I've been teaching all summer. So I like trying to use the word normal outside of a scientific like something has normalized, you know, like mm-hmm. from a data perspective. That's one thing. Yeah. But when you're talking about people or like. You want to say, I think the the better word to use is like typical. Yeah, right. That's, And even then, that's mostly that's just a like, out of the data set of human experience, this is the one that is most prevalent. So this is typical. Whereas normal... Or even and, just like typical for our time and like geographical area and, you know, so on and so well, on. Yeah. And the word normal has all sorts of, I don't know, like it has connotations of judgment of like good or bad. I think. Yeah. Um, And it's like, if you're not normal, then that's bad and you should always be striving to be normal. But what is normal is totally arbitrary anyway. And it's a useless description and yeah, of, of of people. It's a, it's a useless description and it's totally made up. And so why do we like, why force people to aspire to that? You know? Well, and this is not a, this is not, uh, a new discussion that you and I are having. No, like, also not. this has um, been happening in you know art and other sorts of writing for the past couple of years. I think especially there's um, the the musical Next to Normal, which is the, like the last musical to win the Pulitzer Prize, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it explores that from a psychiatric perspective, and like pe- you know, it's exploring um, people who need to take. Uh, drugs for bipolar disorder and stuff like that and just what is normal at all and how that's totally a non-useful label and I think that's probably where a lot of that discussion is coming from now yeah because the idea that you know there is some sort of normal to get back to is kind of false in a way yeah so yeah like normal um, retarded if these are terms that I that we use during this discussion it's just because that's how the book frames them but, yeah that sounds about right yeah we do we do recognize the um, the limitations I guess of those of those terms and yeah great <laughs> let's get back to the book um, okay. so yeah, his, his mom is his mom is always trying to you know make him like the other kids um, for like the first five years of his life and then they have um, a little girl named Norma, and as soon as it her name is that, Norma. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> I don't think that's on purpose, but that's no. just... Oh. That's pretty... Okay. Okay. Okay, Daniel Keyes. If that's what you meant to do. He might not have, of. but... <laughs> That's pretty. That's pretty slick. If it is on seems, purpose, it seems intentional. Okay, but um, as soon as it becomes evident that she is, you know, normal, womp womp, um, his mother especially starts treating Charlie poorly, trying to um, hide him, so like she doesn't have to live with the shame of having a you know developmentally challenged child. Yeah, um, and is the arc of of Charlie's memory and and this coming back to him kind of the realization of what certain actions actually meant is it like you know oh oh now i see what she was doing is it that kind of thing or is it he's remembering things happening at all um it's it's more the realization thing yeah and um it it those memories kind of hamper his his development even you know after the operation and after he you know becomes after his intelligence is increased, like he has a lot of trouble with sex because um, I think his mom caught him looking at his sister once and like beat the living daylights out of him. Oh, really? <laughs> and so anytime he tries to get close to Alice, like as their relationship is forming, you know, as soon as it, as soon as things start getting steamy, he, um, he gets nauseous and like can't, just can't handle it and can't do it. Um, what is um, ask, ask me some more questions because okay. there's just there's a lot to there's a lot to dive into great but um what is his opinion of himself as it goes onward because if he's you know slowly realizing that he is more intelligent but he's also you know i might be putting cart before the horse here but is he like along the way identifying with people that he is now thinking less of because he realized, you know, he's learning more about how people work and is he seeing people in a negative light and thus seeing himself in a negative light as he's getting smarter? He's definitely seeing other people in a negative light. Like okay. it starts it starts with the people at the bakery who have been making fun of him. And, you know, as soon as he stops being like Charlie, the guy they can pick on, Charlie, the guy they can kind of make fun of and have no, you know, there are no repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there are a couple incidents where he makes them look bad because he does a job like better than they could have or like he has an idea that is better than an idea they could have had. Post-operation? All, yeah. Like okay. they all go to their the the boss, the guy who runs the bakery and, and get Charlie fired just because they feel i guess threatened by him yeah yeah um does what does he end up like working at the lab or anything like does he yeah, become he, a super he draws genius a, he draws a salary from the lab but yeah he does he does become a super genius he becomes so smart so fast and there is a you know there is a point in the book where he is just absorbing information like crazy he like gets he did he um, becomes fluent in all these languages he's just absorbing all these different books and theories and he has you know he's acquired knowledge about pretty much everything and so he's talking to the people who gave him this operation like Niemer and Strauss and Bert and like realizing that they you know they know kind of a lot about like one specific area that they've specialized in but their knowledge of like geography and you know uh, any other like paths of knowledge is pretty is pretty light and so he's you know he feels like everybody was kind of lying to him or like or you know everybody just lies everybody just lies to everybody to like cover up how how little they know <laughs> the idea that as you learn anything you become more and more aware what you don't know and try to cover for it yeah right yeah. and um and so he yeah like he eventually has an IQ that's like closer to 200 than it is a 100 and um and yeah he loses respect for a lot of people he just he um and he becomes himself really difficult to talk to and interact with because he kind of holds people in disdain a little bit because of, you know, because he feels like they're all just fakes. Inter- I, it's interesting that he doesn't just think they're dumb, but it takes it to the next step and is like, oh, you're a bunch of phonies. Yeah, because he, I mean, he becomes, 
because one of his earlier realizations is that people are laughing at him, not with him, that I think that colors a lot of his experiences afterward. Like he becomes pretty cynical pretty quickly. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't help that um the way that Professor Niemer, who's the you know, the one who is leading the experiment, the way that Niemer talks about him is like As if he were Algernon. Well, no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like he created Charlie. Yes, 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 yes. And um, you know, one of Charlie's things is the you know the dumber Charlie, you know the the handicapped Charlie was still a human being. How does he refer to himself throughout as he goes forward? Like, how does he refer to his prior self? Is there a, a specific phrase he uses or anything? His his relationship with I mean, usually he just talks about like before the operation. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, his relationship with his past self is interesting because eventually he, you know, he sees, sometimes he like sees Charlie, you know, the, the dumb Charlie looking at him and like observing him. And he eventually comes to feel that Charlie is still in there and just like waiting. Oh, interesting. For, you know, to, to get back. And, um, and so, yeah, anytime he comes close to having sex with Alice, you know, early on, he uh, he senses like the dumb Charlie kind of leering at them, and that's part of weird part of what you know sets him off and makes him unable to to do that with her, and um, and when he gets drunk, which he discovers kind of later in his development, he acts like he did before the operation. Really? Yeah, like he kind of blacks out, and and you know the old Charlie is still in there. Weird, and he has not been abolished just because of this operation. So it's even more Jekyll and Hyde than it sounds initially. Not well, I mean, not that, that he's going ha- back and forth or anything. That but. doesn't happen a lot, but yeah, it's definitely like it's it's not like a thing where smart Charlie is there and dumb Charlie is just gone. You know, yeah, dumb Charlie yeah, 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 is, yeah. is still. And again, these terms might be reductive, but they're just they're just they're the useful quick ones, for now. So. So then what happens? How does it go down poorly? What are the details there? So, yeah, Charlie, um, go, you know, he, he gets mad and he runs off and lives on his own in an apartment in New York for a while and just kind of tries, has some time separate from humanity from researches and from that. Not from humanity. Like there's a there's a neighbor across the hall named Faye who is very like who's an artist. OK. <laughs> and. And that's, you know, who he has his first sexual relationship with. And it's because it doesn't really mean anything to him. Like, of course, he does. He is not really blocked from yeah, doing yeah. it. Um, and so he yeah. So he and he is he was on stage at this at this um, conference with Algernon and Niemer and the rest were going to like show him off. And the way that they're talking about him, like, you know, like they created him, makes him really, really upset. And so he um, takes Algernon. He, like, busts him out of his cage, oh, puts no. him in a shoebox, and then just runs away. Oh, no. <laughs> and so Algernon starts having problems, I believe. And at that point, he goes back to the to the institution and starts working to figure out what the problem is and, like, if it's going to happen to him. And yeah, eventually he he discovers, and it is you know it's him who discovers the flaw in the original research because he's oh, okay. just gotten so smart and his his um, understanding of everything is just so complete that he discovers that um, that you know the per a person who's had this operation their their intelligence will deteriorate more quickly like the smarter they got. Oh, okay. Bigger they are, harder they fall. Yeah. And so he got, you know, really intelligent, really fast. And, you know, eventually he starts to become absent minded and it just deteriorates from there. And so the last the last section of the book is kind of. It's a little bittersweet because he does, you know, finally develop enough emotionally that he can have a physical relationship with Alice for a while. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you know, while he's in between his highest point and his lowest point. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's about him. He, he stops appreciating the music that he liked. He stops, 
reading, you know, very hard books. Like he just, he starts watching more TV. Um, and you know, while he's still smart enough to realize what he's losing, he's like, he's, he's saying, you know, if only I can keep trying to work at it and keep trying to learn, maybe I'll keep something. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And, it, and is and, it, it's reflected in the language as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like he eventually loses punctuation. He stops spelling correctly. Yeah. And, um, does Alice end, ditch him? She doesn't ditch him. He, he shuts her out. Okay. Eventually because like she's, I don't think she, she understands what's happening to him, but she'll like leave books out trying to like get him interested in reading again. And just like, you know, little things to, to try and, I don't know, try and try it. She's trying to help, but it doesn't help. No, it doesn't nothing. There's nothing to, to do. Which is something you said earlier about like, if he worked at it, he could keep something. It reminded me of, uh, apparently one of the impulses for the, story in the first place was keys was working with mentally challenged adults Mm -hmm. like teaching them and one of them asked him something like if you know if i worked if i you know worked really hard could i get put in the normal class or whatever something like that yeah um yeah and that's a that's a big preoccupation of pre-operation charlie it's he's always he's always trying he's always talking about you know getting smarter and wanting to be smarter and like wanting to wanting to read and wanting to write and like that's that's part of why he gets chosen for the operation is not because like there there is there are another couple of students who are maybe better suited for it Mm. but he's the one who like wants he wants that intelligence the most and i think i mean he doesn't realize it at the time i think that stems from his childhood and how how much his mother pushed him yeah to um to be you know quote unquote normal so i mean thematically does it seem like it is the not that there's a moral of the story but that the story is arguing for like an ignorance is bliss scenario kind of like a the grass wasn't as green as he thought or is it more i don't know what i don't know what the other way to think about it is like does he he definitely ends the story wishing he was still that smart is that true um, you know, by, by the end, he doesn't really, I mean, he, he still kind of wants it, but he doesn't, I mean, he just, he loses the capacity to know what he would, what he's want. missing yeah. to a certain extent. And the story, I mean, the story ends with him accidentally going back into the, the, um, you know, the class that he was in at the beginning of the story that Alice is the teacher of, and she, you know, runs out crying and he, and he he had said earlier in the book, you know, when he got too far gone to care for himself, he would go to like the, you know, the local. Um, what's what's the word I want? Like the asylum, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and so the book ends with him saying, "Yeah, I'm going to get on a train and go to the asylum." And so it's almost even worse off than he was before. Yeah. Let let me. Yeah. The last. He says. Anyway, I bet I'm the first dumb person in the world who found out something important for science. I did something, but I don't remember what. So I guess it's like I did it for all the dumb people like me in the asylum and all over the world. Goodbye, Miss Kinian and Dr. Strauss and everybody. P.S. Please tell Prof. Niemer not to be such a grouch when people laugh at him and he would have more friends. <laughs> it's easy to have friends if you let people laugh at you. I'm going to have lots of friends where I go. P.S. Please, if you get a chance, put some flowers on Algernon's grave in the backyard. Mm. And is that is that the first knowledge? Is that the first time they say anything flowers for Algernon? No, no, no. Um, he Algernon dies earlier on when when Charlie is still smart because like Algernon, all the stuff that happens to Charlie happens, happens to Algernon, Algernon first, first. Yeah. and so he gets this like really awful preview of exactly what is oh, going to happen. Oh no! Especially in like the uh, the autopsy where. Algernon's brain is just like a lot of the wrinkles have smoothed out and it's just totally shot. So, Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a chance, there's a pretty good chance that Charlie will end up worse off than he was in the first place. Hmm. Um, that, that, you know, that 
by the end of the book, he's pretty much back where he started, but that, you know, there's not a, um, you don't really have much of an indication one way or the other, whether it's going to continue or, or, or what. Yeah. And in kind of, it's not going back because he's done anything. It's not like he caused the degradation. It was just always going to happen to him kind of thing. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I, here's another one from that really, really depressing last page. <laughs> I don't know why I'm dumb again or what I did wrong. Maybe it's because I didn't try hard enough or just somebody put the evil eye on me. But if I try and practice very hard, maybe I'll get a little smarter and know what all the words are. Ugh. This is very... Ugh. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's a really because usually, you know, I'll I'll read these books over the course of a week or even like a week and a half, just depending on whether I'm busy or you know what else I'm doing. But this one I read cover to cover pretty much in a weekend. Yeah, because I mean, it's a very it's very engaging and it's very even though this story is well known enough that you know exactly what is going to happen. It's still kind of like heartbreaking to watch it, to watch it unfold. And like, do you you ever get that feeling when you watch a TV show that you've seen before and you know, something bad is going to happen? Like if, if you rewatch breaking bad or something and you know how something's going to go down and you know, (laughs) the character you really like is going to get shot. You still find yourself thinking in some like, weird part of your brain oh maybe it'll go down differently well, somehow that's, this time yeah that's something i talk about all the time uh in terms of like when when i actually am able to use the word irony correctly <laughs> and like dramatic irony and the idea that you know you so you know something that the character or that the story doesn't know while it's happening right and you you look at any story that opens with any sort of prologue that goes here's what happens now let's watch like mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet does that, you know, and if it's done well, you get to the end and you're like, but I like them so much. Maybe it'll work <laughs> out. No, because I, I was thinking like one time when I was teaching, and I was like, what happened? What would happen if you didn't know that they were going to die? You know, that would change how you watch any moment in that story. Mm-hmm. Um but if it's done well, you still get invested enough to hope that it will not. Um, or you're invested and so you're like extra upset that they didn't see it coming, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that that's how it's like to read this book is like right after the operation, you really start wanting to see those signs of improvement in, in Charlie. Mm. And then once you get far enough along that you know it's going to end poorly, you're really apprehensive to start you know reading about those first signs of deterioration yeah there's actually there's it's funny as i was prepping for the for the show i was realizing how many versions of this story i've seen like everywhere (laughs) like just in in television there's the episode of seinfeld where george stops having sex (laughs) You know, just to lighten things up, I'm going to kind of go through these because, like, there's the episode sure. where he stops having sex and then he realizes, like, he starts doing calculus and is learning all sorts of languages. Yeah, because the part of his brain that was consumed with thinking about having sex all the time was keeping him from being smart. And then on the flip side, like, Elaine can't have sex because her boyfriend is, like, studying or to be a doctor or something. Mm-hmm. And so she slowly becomes a moron <laughs> because it's, like, the flip side for her. But then, of course, because George is so smart, he learns Portuguese and then has sex with a Portuguese waitress, and it makes him dumb again. <laughs> there um, is um, there's an episode of Rugrats. What? That is, um, Chucky has an operation to clear up his nasal, pa- nasal passages. Oh, no. So he, can, so he can breathe. But then the mouse, who is named Algernon, I think... <laughs> <laughs> who, the, who the operation was originally done on gets a runny nose again, and then Chucky get, then Chucky gets a runny he gets all stuffed up again by the end of the episode. But does he learn that like people liked him for his stuffy voice or something? Um, I don't remember what. 
I know there's because it's just like multiple. I don't remember anything else about that episode of Rugrats <laughs> or like any other episode of Rugrats. I don't. I don't know why it was their flowers for Algernon. Spoof I don't know because really there's a couple episodes me. of Futurama that are like this too, where it's like there's the one where all the worms are in fry. Yeah, right. And he becomes super smart. There's the one with the where he gets the hands of the devil, and he can make all sorts of beautiful music. There's yeah, because the, I, I don't know that those are like direct. No, 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 no. You know, but it's Algernon a similar type of homages, story. but yeah, it's a similar narrative thing where a person gains something. And then they like, and then they have to, they either are forced to, or they have to give it up for some yeah, greater, for some greater reason. And there is, you know, there is definitely, they know enough to, to be really upset about that thing that they have to give up. Yeah. Or the character de- development is more of the like grass wasn't greener. Like I, I learned something about myself and wish that that was appreciated Rather than yeah. this, you know, new outfit I put on for lack of, you know, um, this yeah. new mantle of intelligence is not all it's cracked up to be kind of thing. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's kind of intelligence doesn't make you happy is is part of Algernon's thing. Yeah. Um, and I think thematically, like the most important thing to take away is that intelligence by itself is is not enough. Like you need love and you need like human interaction and you need other other things but yeah um, that intelligence doesn't presuppose good moral character or any sort of meaningful life yeah because i mean there are a few people you know there there are i think at least two separate incidents in the book where somebody and i think once it's alice and once it's nemer um who says you know before the operation you weren't smart but you were like affable and likable Mm. and there's something about you that attracted people and that's something that you've lost you know since you became since you became intelligent well that you know that makes me think of a couple things there's i know there's a cormac mccarthy book that i've read which is only sort of related but it's you know a character with lots of intellectual knowledge and lots of you know he's a college professor or something and then there's a man who is pretty uneducated but has very strong faith. And like that book is all about, it's called uh, the sunset limited. And that book's basically, you know, as you get smarter and as you become more well-read, is it possible to be happy, like knowing all of the bad things in the world? Um, You know, and that's kind of a fundamental question. I think gets asked in a lot of different ways. (laughs) Um, Well, there's, there's a uh, Simpsons moment where, Actually, oh, this, yeah, this is another Algernon thing where Homer, like, has a crayon removed from his brain. I remember that. And it makes him, it makes him, it doesn't even make him really smart. It just makes him not an idiot anymore. Yeah. (laughs) And he can't, like, relate to any of his friends or anybody. So he has the crayon jam back in there. That's funny. um, There's a chart that Lisa makes, or a graph that Lisa makes that has, you know, happiness going down while intelligence goes up. And she sa- <laughs> and then she says, I make a lot of graphs. <laughs> well, and to take it away from cartoons for a second, I know there's a, uh, there's a, I think it's a Chekhov short story. It may or may not be called The Millions or something like that, where this guy makes a bet that he can live, you know, sequestered from humanity in a prison for, you know, however many years it is with only books like he's allowed to read and he's allowed to eat and if he does it he'll get all sorts of money and he'll get to you know go out and live in the world and the guy's like yeah totally and then after so many years have passed he's learned everything that there is to learn basically and is like i don't want no part of the world it's terrible <laughs> and he like totally rescinds the bet and the guy who made the bet is like very chilled by the idea that you could you know, learn that about, it's a very dark view of the world, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, but that you could learn all that and then have that turn you away from humanity. Um, I think that seems, that's a running theme in in these kind of stories and running theme in some of the stories we've read already. Like, you know, we've talked about Frankenstein's monster a couple times since in that, you know, as you learn these stories where you learn more about humanity and it, you know, takes you a little, negative on how the whole <laughs> yeah. system runs yeah that's that's i'd say that's accurate <laughs> well and think about how many times you look 
it sounds so terrible not to bum people out, but you like look at the news. If you have time to look at the news and you get bummed out versus if you're busy just kind of like happily going about your days and then you don't get bummed out. <laughs> like it's – if you are con- more concerned with world events that maybe you don't even have control over, that can still impact you locally in how you feel about the world or how you feel about people um, – where you could just go about your day, you know, working in a bakery and, you know, getting laughed at for fun. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I just got the, bummed I out. Mean, it's a good book, but it's a bummer, you know. It's, it is the bummer. That's the that's its deal. It's it's going to bum you out. Yeah. That's, spoiler alert. So, real quick, I know it, it's science fiction. We're, you know, we're wrapping up. Um does it read as science fiction or does it read as – does it take place like in the world? We, you know you know what question I'm asking? Like, is yeah, it, it takes it, – it's, there's nothing fantastic about the world they're in. It's, it's our world except that this operation exists. Okay, okay. And okay. I think that's – yeah, it's, it's, it's science fiction like technically, but I don't think the, the spirit of it is super science fiction-y. Well, I, I know the book like won the Hugo Award or whatever mm-hmm. – um, Oh, and this is oh, this is something I wanted to bring up that came up in in the research. That when it was first when he was first pitching the story uh, as a short story, whatever magazine it was going to get published in asked him to change the ending so that it was happy, and <laughs> he refused, and you know got it published elsewhere. And then the same thing happened with the book. Like I don't I don't remember who he was originally originally supposed to publish with they were like maybe you should change the ending so that it works out and he was how like how many how many like editors or committees or like executives have given that note yeah to people yep well and it reminded like, me oh. actually of do you remember the movie ai i remember it i never saw it All right. but i remember i remember that it's a thing well it was kind of like a copro between uh Co-pro. stanley kubrick and Steven Spielberg. And I don't remember if it was like an unfinished script or something of Kubrick's. But there's like a false ending where, you know, robot Haley Joel Osmond is looking for his MacGuffin. You know, his like, you know, whatever, blue fairy or whatever that's going to teach him what humanity is. Mm-hmm. And he finds her at, <laughs> at the bottom of an ocean. Spoilers for AI, I guess. And <laughs> finds her at the bottom of an ocean. And... <laughs> then he's just stuck there, and he's like in this underwater boat, and it f- and he's just there forever, and it freezes over, and that could have been the end, you know. And it's kind of a little darker. He got what he wanted, but it's not what he wanted, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's, for lack of a better word, the Spielberg ending at the end, where like these aliens show up and like unfreeze him and let him live out like one day of his life in some weird like hollow chamber. And so you kind of end on a bittersweet happy note that is less of a true downer. Yeah. And as I was reading that about Flowers for Algernon, it reminded me of that because it's like teaching you this lesson about humanity that is not necessarily uplifting. And then it's like, right. well, let's just kind of just... Can we soften that blow a little soften bit? soften that a can little we... bit? <laughs> People are going to be too depressed at the end of this movie. Um... Change it. <laughs> Change <laughs> I would make such a good book editor... You yeah could could you change just change it? I would just send back a manuscript with a bunch of smiley faces and frowny faces, and then the end it would just write change it. <laughs> That's how I give uh, direction. Also, could you just could you do it different? Yeah, we'll just we'll <laughs> we'll rehearse a scene five times, and then I'll just be like change it. <laughs> That's advice any of us can use. If if you want us to change something, <laughs> you can tell us about it on Twitter. We're uh, we're on Twitter as Overdue Pod. Uh, we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Overdue Pod. And um, we've got a website at www.overduepodcast.com. And up on that website, we have Amazon links to the book that we've read this week, the books we've read in past weeks, the book the books we're going to read for the next two weeks. And if you really like the sound of a book and you want to buy it, or if you want to like read along with us, if you would use those links to buy the books, we get a teeny tiny little cut of that, and that helps to like defray our hosting cost and um, 
and all of the like booze that we drink as we prepare for the show. So, <laughs> well, because you know, we, we really, read these bummer books, and so we need <laughs> to need a little bit to help us out. Uh, you can also help us out by going to our iTunes page. There's a link to that on the website, and you can rate and review us, which helps kick us up in the iTunes store and helps get us more exposure. You can also, you know, share those Twitter and Facebook links. Go listen to past episodes, which is great. You know, let us know how we're doing. And you can also let us know how we're doing by emailing us at overduepod at gmail.com. Okay, I think I think that is all the things. I think that's the whole spiel. So may you work hard and maybe get smarter, but otherwise <laughs> have just be happy. Just be happy yeah. with who you just, are. <laughs> um thank you everybody for listening to the show. Um for liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter. We really appreciate it. If you wanted to spread the word by, uh, you know, recommending this to some of your bookish friends, that's that's how we're going to get more popular and, and you know, expand our expand our reach. Um, Let us know yeah, what we, we should really, be reading also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us book suggestions, any of that that um, you would like us to, to do. Um, Craig, what is it that you're reading for next week's show? I'm reading Persuasion by Jane Austen. All right. Is that true? So Maybe? If, uh, yeah, th- I think that's what's on the site. Yeah. So. Tune back in next week. Uh, you'll hear us talk about Jane Austen. And until then, yeah, just just try be try be happy. Try to be happy. Okay. Bye, everybody. <laughs>everybody does a game of thrones podcast why don't we do a game of thrones i do one in my sleep i just i do it by myself with my dreams i think i'm the only american male who is not somehow involved with a game of thrones podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's possible i think more has been podcasted about that show than i don't have a comparison to make it's just it's a lot of (laughs) podcasting yeah well, fair enough. Podcasts. I don't yeah. know. The, is this our open? It could be. I kind of stalled it. Sorry. Out the part where you ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should do a different one.